What a privilege it is to be with you all again after five years. Um, just a joy it's been to spend time at Pastor Gabe's house and getting to know them uh, in this last week, and then um, spending time in some of the flock groups that you all have, and just enjoying the fellowship and seeing people that we've known in the past, and then um, meeting new people. It's uh, exciting to see all of you here today. Um, we, are, we are just so, so thankful. And uh, as we've sung together, if we, as we've worshipped, and just some of the lyrics of the songs, uh, just, just exalting the Lord and challenging us as well with, um, yeah, our mandate to go and preach the gospel and give the good news to those around us that don't have that. And uh, I just want to, on behalf of my wife and I, just uh, thank you all for partnering with us to get the gospel out in Spain. Thank you so much for partnering us, uh, partnering with us, for uh, fellowshipping with us in that regard. And um, this morning... We're going to look at particularly that subject of, uh, of partnering, of doing the gospel, giving the gospel together, not just lone rangers, not just out there on our own and, and not, uh, not having other people or fellowship or, or other uh, people together doing that. So we're going to look at Philippians, Philippians chapter 1. If you go there, Philippians chapter 1, we're going to look at the first six verses and, uh, and um, yeah, just see what the Lord would have us uh, learn and, and grow in today. So my title today of the sermon is uh, Partnership in the Gospel, Partnership in the Gospel. Uh, other versions might say Fellowship in the Gospel. Uh, in the Spanish uh, version of the Bible, it says uh, communion, comunión, uh, communion in the gospel together, uh, giving the gospel out, but together, not just by ourselves. So let's, I'm going to read the first six verses of Philippians. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let's just pause for a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that it uh, instructs us, it encourages us, it um, challenges us, it exhorts us, uh, Lord, to, uh, to live and to be your people and to know, Lord, how to, to live our Christian lives. So thank you, Lord, for your word, and I pray that you would make it true and help us to apply it today in our lives. In Christ's name. Amen. So we're going, going to look this morning at three, three points having to do with partnership in the gospel. What does partnership in the gospel really mean? Okay, so we're going to look at some aspects 
of that. First of all, partnership in the gospel is based on a great Savior. Partnership in the gospel is based on a great Savior. We are out in Spain giving the gospel out, sharing the good news of Jesus. And you are partnering with us to make it go out. We're doing it together. So first of all, it's the partnership in the gospel is based on a great Savior. <clears throat> in the first two verses of uh, Philippians, we see uh, that, first of all, when it mentions Christ Jesus, it's talking about servants of Christ Jesus, Paul and Timothy being servants of Christ Jesus. So we're servants of Christ Jesus. And then to all the saints in Christ Jesus, right? Those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus uh, as our Savior. And we live for him. We love him. We serve him. We are saints in him. We are called saints. We're in Christ Jesus. We're complete in him as the scripture teaches us. Um, so partnership in the gospel is based on a great savior. We're servants of Christ Jesus. We're saints in Christ Jesus. And number verse two says, grace to you and peace from God our Father uh, and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're given grace and by the grace of God and Jesus, we have salvation. So and then so here we see here, Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ is mentioned in these first two verses three different times. And then when we go down to verse six, it says, um, <clears throat> and I'm sure of this, he will begin a good work and you will bring it to complete completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So that's talking about the completion at the end when we're at Christ. It will be completed, his work in us at the end. Okay, so um, without Jesus, we would have no gospel. There would be no good news. There would not be. So there'd not be a basis for partnering together. But we have a great Savior. And if you don't know this great Savior today, if you're visiting or if you're here, even um, part of the church, maybe you've never trusted and put your faith in Jesus as your own personal Savior from your sins. And I trust that you will consider doing that today. There's no greater time to do it, to have your sins forgiven and have everlasting life. So consider, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus today, do that. He is a great Savior. Let's look at the next book, uh, Colossians, the next book right over uh, after Philippians. And we're going to look at a few verses, starting in, in Colossians 1, chapter 1, and verses 15 to 20. So we have a great Savior. Let's look at some reasons why he is a great Savior. 15, verse 15 of Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. First of all, he's God. Jesus is God. He's the perfect image. As it says here, is the image of the invisible God. He has the exact nature of God. Jesus is the second member of the Trinity, and he is fully man, but fully God. He's a great Savior. He's God. It says in verse 16, For by him all things were created, 
For by him, all things were created. Jesus is not only God, he's also the creator of all things. He created you, created me, created this whole world, the universe. Jesus created the world. He's a great savior. He is a incredible, great, amazing savior. He's the creator of all things. And then, continuing to read there, it says, For by him all there's all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and visible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. The verse 17. He is before all things. Jesus is infinite. He, he's existed from eternity past. He exists now and he will never end. Jesus is a great savior. He's infinite. He's been around forever. He always has been. Don't ask me to explain that. Because who can explain that, right? But we believe it because the word God teaches. He's infinite. He has been here forever. He is before all things. And then it says, in him all things hold together. Probably we have scientists here. People who understand a lot of physics and uh, things that I'm not a scientist, but <clears throat> how fast is our world spinning around right now? Fast, right? Fast. Why don't we go spinning off it? Why don't we go flying off it? <clears throat> you ever played that game when you were kids? Okay, let's all hold hands, right? Okay, and the person in the front <clears throat> goes, start, starts, and everybody comes, and all of a sudden he just pulls around. What happens to the last person? Usually, they have a hard time holding on. Why? Because of what? Called inertia, right? That force going around makes you fly off. Why don't we fly off this world? Why are you sitting on this pew? Why is this building doesn't go flying off? Well, okay, you say gravity, right? Gravity. But why is gravity? Why is there gravity when we spin around so fast? You know, first of all, we're spinning all the way around for a year, but then every 24 hours. So what? Jesus. It's because of Jesus. It says here, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Because of Jesus, he sustains. He holds everything together. He keeps it. If he created it, he knows how to keep it. He knows how to sustain it. He knows how to make the air that we breathe perfect for human beings to breathe, and to live, and to be sustained. Scientists say that if it was any different, or if we were just a little bit off, we would not be able to live. Jesus created that, and he sustains us. He sustains you and I as believers, but he sustains the non-believers too. How can they live? How can they breathe? How can they, you know, Jesus, he is the sustainer of all things. He's a great savior. Jesus is a great savior. And we can partner together with the gospel because Jesus is a great savior. It goes on. It says, in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. Praise God for shepherds of the church, pastors, 
right? Pastors, thank the Lord for Pastor Gabe and uh, for Tom Lake that uh, just, yeah, began and founded this, this church and uh, the Lord blessed him in so many ways and blessed many, you all uh, for so many years. We praise the Lord for that, right? God raises up leaders for his church. But let's never forget that Jesus is the head of his church. Jesus is our head. He is the head of the universal church in the world. He is the one that's in charge. He is the head of the body, the church. Okay? So let's never remember while we grow and while we are uh, taught and while we're shepherded by the shepherds that God has given us, the, the, the pastors, let's always keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the head of the church, because that's what he is. He's a great savior. He is a great savior. Also, he is the beginning. It says he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He is the first one that died and rose again, but forever, but forever. Okay, in the Old Testament, we find people that uh, the prophets raised from the dead, but they died again. But Jesus is the first one that died and rose again and stayed living and will come back and return for us. And then it says that in everything, he might be preeminent. Jesus is the one that we have to proclaim, that we have to exalt, okay? Not men, not people. Jesus gets the preeminence. Okay? He is the one that we need to focus, remember. He's our Savior. He's our, our Lord. He's everything to us. And we have to give him glory and preeminence in everything we do. And then it says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Once again, Jesus is fully God. He's God. It says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And here is the great message that we have. Because of his blood shed on the cross for us, he made peace with God on our behalf. And if we believe that message that Jesus died for my sins, then we have peace with God. And if we accept that message and trust in Jesus, then God gives us peace with himself because his anger was placed on Jesus when he died on the cross for you and for me and for our sins. He reconciled all things. Are you glad you were part of those things, those people that he reconciled? I'm glad. And if you're here, you can't be glad because you don't know this Jesus. He's a great Savior. He's a wonderful Savior. He's an amazing Savior. He's creator. He's God. He's a sustainer. He's, he's our head. He gets the preeminence. And he provides salvation for us. So if you're here today and you don't know him, he's a great Savior. I encourage you to make him your great Savior. Allow him to be your personal Savior from your sins. So partnership in the gospel is based on a great savior. I'm going to share with you a story <clears throat> that some of you may have heard before. I don't know. It's about a missionary family from Sweden back in the early 1900s. I'm going to take their story 
And uh, each point, I'm going to use their story to kind of apply the point of, of what we're looking at today, of partnership in the gospel. A couple named David and Svea fled from Sweden back in 1921, 1920, 21 or so. They were believers. They knew this great Savior, and they were serving in their church back about 100 years ago in Sweden. They served in their church. They were faithful in their church. They helped out ministries in their church, and, and they were, they were um, yeah, believers that were serving the Lord. But God put on their hearts a burden to not just stay in Sweden, but to go. They knew this great Savior, and they had heard about needs around the world. And uh, God moved in their hearts and called them to go and serve in a place at that time called the Belgian Congo to seek out and seek to take the good news of the gospel to those who had not heard yet. So <clears throat> they had a young son at two years old. And so they went with another couple to Belgian Congo. And we will continue their story after the second point. So let's go to the second point of what partnership is in the gospel. Partnership in the gospel, first of all, is based on a great Savior. We just talked about what a wonderful and great, amazing Savior Jesus is. It's also, partnership in the gospel also beckons for a great sacrifice. Partnership in the gospel beckons for a great sacrifice. Let's look at verse 7 of Philippians 1. It is right, Paul says, for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Now, Paul, I'm just going to kind of <laughs> talk a little bit here. Uh, Paul, so, so in those first parts, you're saying, yeah, you're partnering. You're, we're partnering with you. And that's just wonderful. Isn't that, isn't that great? You're partnering. And yeah. What are you saying about imprisonment? What? what? Maybe they, you know, imprisonment. Wow. And the grace, the grace of imprisonment. Wow. Both in my imprisonment, you're partakers with me of grace. Okay? This is grace. God's grace. Yeah. In believing. Yeah. You believe with me and you're partnering with me to get the gospel out. That's great and that's wonderful. You say, but you know what? You're partnering with me in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Imprisonment. Look at uh, verse 29 of the same chapter. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him. Uh, do we want to keep going? This is a tough one. This is a tough one. Not only to believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Partnership in the gospel beckons for a great sacrifice. 
Paul wrote to the Philippians being in prison. Why was he in prison? For the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel, he was imprisoned because he was preaching the good news of Jesus. If I asked you how many have been imprisoned for preaching about Jesus, for telling about Jesus, for sharing Jesus with somebody, I probably wouldn't get too many hands here. I, I haven't been. I haven't been. But we also know that the word says, if anyone would live godly lives in Christ Jesus, what's going to happen to them? They'll suffer persecution in some form, some way. And it may be greater eventually for us here in America. We don't know that. Many are suffering around the world in incredible ways, losing their lives because they're faithful to proclaim and to live the gospel of Jesus. So that the gospel of Jesus only isn't, it's not only you know, partnering with, with uh, the gospel and partnership in the gospel, not only believing in a great savior, savior, it's having the grace to be able to suffer, to be able to, in order, you know, to order to reach people to, for Christ. It means suffering sometimes. It does. And Paul says, you have the grace to do that, Philippian believers. You have the grace to do that. God has given you the grace to partner with me in my imprisonment. My challenges, my hard things, my difficulties. Let's look at uh, what Jesus said in Luke. Let's go to Luke chapter 9. Luke 9. Verses 23 and 24. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. We really want to be disciples of Jesus? We want to follow him? Well, it says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. A cross. What, is the, what does a cross mean? A cross means suffering, right? You take up your cross daily, denying your own desires, denying our own fleshly desires and sinful desires, denying our old self, living in the new self, the new man, the new nature that God has given to us in Christ. But it takes denying. It takes taking up a cross. It takes sacrifice to, first of all, live our own lives for Jesus, but then reaching others for him as well. Let's look at 2 Corinthians. Look over at 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 6. 2 Corinthians 6. And this is uh, Paul uh, defending and sharing uh, with the believers some of the things he went through to get the gospel out. Maybe you can relate to some of these. Maybe not. <laughs> I know I don't necessarily relate to most of these. <laughs> but maybe you can. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6, verses 4 to 10. Second Corinthians 6, 4 to 10. But we as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, 
labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. These are some words from the Apostle Paul that show how he did ministry, what happened to him, things that he saw were true, and all these dichotomies, right? Poor, as poor. He had to, uh, sometimes, even though he got, uh, at times, uh, contributions and, and help from churches, he didn't have money to speak of. He was not rich in this world. Paul was not in it for the money. He didn't, he didn't have a lot. In fact, when he got money, he would give it to others, other needy people. But making many rich. <laughs> making many rich. What kind of richness? Of this world? Nah. Nah. Not of this world. Not material things. This is not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about making them rich spiritually in the gospel of Jesus so that they can know, so they have eternal riches in heaven, right? Spiritual riches, everlasting life in the streets of gold with Jesus. That's the kind of richness, not material possessions. No, not material possessions. Maybe I'm poor, but you know, preaching the gospel, giving the good news of Jesus makes people rich spiritually because it gives them life. It gives them everlasting life, forgiveness of sins, and a new way of living, of hope, of joy, of peace, knowing God through Jesus. That's richness. That's true richness. And that's what Paul was doing. He was making people rich, not in this world, not in this world, spiritually rich in their hearts because of Jesus. It's having nothing yet possessing everything. Having nothing. Paul didn't really really have much. He, he really didn't. He, he didn't possess. And yet, he got everything. You know, how do we view ministry? How do we re- view reaching out to others? How do we view that? How do we see that? Are we willing to sacrifice? I'm not saying we're going to go through all these things. I'm not saying you you have to go through all these things to to tell t- somebody about Jesus or or this is going to be the effects of all the things uh, that's going to happen if you tell people about Jesus. No, I'm not not saying that. But the fact is, we are called to reach people. We are called to give the gospel out, right? To tell people that don't know Him about the good news and the hope they can have in Jesus. We have that challenge. Do we, do we use our time? Do we sacrifice our time? 
to reach those that don't know him. Do we give up time to do that? How about our talents? Are we using our talents that God's given us to ask God, God, I've got this talent. How can I use it to reach people I don't know that don't know Jesus? How can I use my talents? God, life is comfortable for me here in my in my bubble. <laughs> it's so comfortable. Are we ready to give those up to reach people for Jesus? Are we ready to give up our, 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 our bubbles to, to get out? Be bold for Jesus. Are we ready to do that and how God shows us to do that? How about our resources? You know, um, have I dedicated all of my resources to God, to him, for his kingdom and, and, and reaching people for Jesus? Have I done that? A sacrifice about my prayers. Do I sacrifice? Spend time, fervent prayer for people I, that don't know the Lord. Do, do I? Do I really? <laughs> I don't think I do enough. I pray. I do pray. We pray together for the people that we seek to minister to and reach out for Jesus. But do I pray intensely? Do I fast? Do I? <laughs> Give my energy, and my intensity, my fervor in prayer for people who don't know the Lord. So David and Savea fled. They reach the Belgian Congo. And they're on a mission station with some other missionaries. And, um, but they have a burden, they and another couple, to go and uh, find through the jungles other villages that have not had the gospel preached to them yet as of this time. And so they get some, some provisions together for a few weeks and uh, they start trekking through the jungle to seek out other villages. And, and each village they come to, they, they're rejected. They tell them, no, you can't come in here. They reject them, so they have to move on. And they continue for this for a couple of weeks and their provisions are running out. And they come to this town that the, um, the leader, the tribal chief says, no, you cannot come in to my town. Uh, but they don't have any provisions. So they set up a couple of huts outside of the town up on the hill and uh, see what God's going to do here because they don't have any more <laughs> resources. They don't have any more food. They're running out of food. The chief does allow them. I will send you a 12-year-old boy twice a week to sell you chickens and eggs. Sell you chickens and eggs. You say, well, okay, at least we'll have a couple couple uh, times we could talk to this guy and we could have some food. So they're up there and they're getting a little discouraged and David flood is, why, why did we do this? Why did we, you know, expend all this energy? This is, nothing's happening here. Nobody's letting us talk to, about anything to, about Jesus to these people. Why? Why? And he's getting he's getting frustrated. He's getting really frustrated. But his wife Zvea thinks to herself, "Okay, we can't go into that town and tell people about the Lord. But you know what? Somebody's coming to us two times a week. So she's buying things from him and <laughs> these eggs and chickens and." she starts to share the gospel with this 12-year-old boy 
who responds to the gospel, who accepts the Lord. Okay? So, wonderful, right? Great. So he goes back to his town. Doesn't say anything. Doesn't tell the chief. Everybody's against these, <laughs> these missionaries, right? So what's he going to do? Go in and say, hey, no, they're just going to shut him up and no. So he doesn't. So, uh, so about this time, uh, Svea, the, the wife, has another baby girl. And 10 days later, she dies of complications of childbirth. And her husband, David, becomes bitter towards God. Says, you take, I, I give all this for you? I've sacrificed all this for you? And now you take my, my wife? And um, said, that's it, I'm going back to Sweden. So he did, he took his boy, he said, here, I can't take this, I can't keep this baby. Gives it to the other missionaries. Says, I'm, back, I'm going back to Sweden. Goes back to Sweden, basically wastes his life away, being bitter towards God, uh, drinking, and just kind of ruining his life. Um, so we're going to come back to the story after the third point. All right, so partnership in the gospel is based on a great savior. It also beckons for a great sacrifice. This couple, they sacrificed. They did. They did. They gave up everything, went to the Belgian Congo and to, to preach the good news to people who had never heard it. And uh, so they sacrificed. Thirdly, partnership in the gospel brings great celebration. Partnership in the gospel brings great celebration. Uh, going back to Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my what? My joy and crown. My joy and crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. They were his joy. Why? Why were they his joy? Because preaching the gospel to them and them responding was cause for great celebration and joy. How many times in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice, rejoice. Why? Because when somebody comes to know the Lord, God opens their heart. We, we share with them the good news, what we've experienced, and we want them to experience, and we share. God works sometimes in a very long process. It takes years sometimes, but God works. But they respond. Whoa. Is that a cause for joy or what? If you've had that experience of allowing, being allowed to, share, to, to, to see somebody come to know the Lord and place their faith in Jesus and move from the darkness to the light, you know there's nothing like it. To see somebody come to know Jesus, there's nothing like it. Let's go to John chapter 4. Gospel of John. Chapter 4, verses 34 to 36. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. 
Already the one who, who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So that the sower and reaper may do what? May rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent that you reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and have entered into their labor. What Jesus is saying here is, yeah, some sow, the farmer sows. And then also God waters, like um, Paul said. Um, and then uh, some reap. God brings the increase. But what he's saying is, when a harvest is brought in, and there's great harvest, what happens? There's joy, right? Oh, that's why we're, we're living in this, this time right now, a, a joyful celebration, right? Great harvest, thanksgiving, and everything that has to do with that, that, that God's blessed, and, and, and we've sown, right? And the farmers have sown, and then there's all this blessing later, and so we, have, we, we rejoice. We're thankful for God's abundant provision. But Jesus isn't talking about literal fruit and, and, and literal like vegetables and fruit and, and harvest as far as the, he's talking about people coming to know him. And, and, and when people tell people about Jesus and then people water it and tell them more, and then somebody is being used by God to, to actually be at the point when they place their faith in Jesus. But the, but the person that sowed years ago rejoices just as much as the one who was there when they placed their faith in Jesus, right? Yes. So there's joy on both ends. Um, let's, uh, let's look at uh, Luke, uh, back to Luke in chapter 15, uh, verses 8 to 10. First, uh, about the, the gal who Jesus talked about, the woman who had 10 silver coins, and uh, she couldn't find one. So she searched and searched and searched. Finally, she finds it. Verse 9 of uh, Luke 15 says, And when she found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Rejoice with me. I'd find the coin. Is Jesus is talking about coins here? Well, he's using it as an example. But look what he says in verse 10. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. One sinner. What? One sinner. The angels rejoice. They have a party in heaven. They rejoice over it. Wow, this person has moved from the darkness. And they're into the light now of Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Let's sing. Let's praise God. Oh. They do. You know what? We can rejoice too. We do too. Because we have a great Savior. We may have to have great sacrifice to see God move in their lives. And we do things that, yeah, we give up our time to do this ministry and reach out to these people and give. But you know, when it happens, wow, what a party. What a beautiful thing it is. We thank God. We praise God. Prodigal son, just right after that, right? Uh, about the, the brother was so angry. This is not fair. This isn't fair. He's been gone. He squandered all you gave him. It's not fair. What did the father say? Look, you have everything. You have everything that I have ever had. You already have it. Why aren't you happy your brother has come back? 
and, and, and it's been restored. And he said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours, verse 31. It was fitting to what? Celebrate and be glad. Celebrate and be glad when people come into the kingdom of, of God, putting their faith in Jesus. That's cause for rejoicing. We're, we're happy. He was dead. Now he's alive. He was lost and he's found. Have you ever had the privilege of seeing somebody come to know Jesus? You ever had that privilege? I hope you have because it's just, it's just nothing like it, right? <laughs> to see that. If you've experienced that and you have placed your faith, and I, I trust most of you have here. If you haven't, you need to do that. But you know what it is like. You know, right? You all have testimony. You all have a, a story to tell of God's goodness in your life and how he changed you and how he's still changing you. But how, man, when you saw that, that change, that difference, oh, wow, this is what I can have? And, and you came as a repentant sinner and you put your faith in Jesus and you saw the joy and the peace, the love that God gave you. You were happy, right? <laughs> and the people who led you to Jesus were happy too, I bet. I bet they celebrated, right? <laughs> so, so yeah, we, we have a reason to celebrate. The last thing, Psalm 126, uh, Psalm 126. Uh, this is a yeah, passage to... Um, talk about the same idea, right? Um, to restore the portions, uh, Psalm 126, verse 4. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Are you shouting for joy? Are you bringing sheaves that the Lord is giving you? Coming, people moving in that process and finally coming to the place where they put their faith in Jesus. Are you rejoicing in that? Uh, I trust that God is using you and, uh, and you're sacrificing to do that because sometimes it takes a lot of sacrifice. It does. It's not just believing. Partnership in the gospel is based on a great savior. It beckons for a great sacrifice, but it also brings great celebration. Continuing with our Swedish family, the floods. So this young baby, well, young baby, yeah, it is going to be young because it's a baby. But, <laughs> but this baby is given to this other missionary couple that they were working with. And uh, they continue on for a while, seeking to reach this this uh, town. But shortly thereafter, uh, somehow this couple is poisoned by somebody in the town and they both perish. They both die. So this baby is given to another missionary family, an American missionary family. And, uh, you know, where they had originally been in, on their mission station. And that missionary family came back to the States eventually this child was raised, this baby was raised here in the U.S., on the West Coast. And um, uh, she eventually went to Bible school and Bible college and met her husband. He's a pastor. And, um, and so God worked in those subsequent years there. And uh, one day she gets a letter, uh, actually a magazine in Swedish, into her, in her, her box and um, 
she doesn't know Swedish. Even though her parents were Swedish, she was raised by this American couple, so and raised here in the States. So she doesn't know Swedish, but as she's looking at the magazine, this article, she notices her maiden name. Oh, wow, what's this? You know what? What's I don't understand what I recognize it. So she called up a friend who knew Swedish and uh, said, what, what's this article about? And so she translated it, and it, it gave a history of the area where her parents had been in that town, how God had used this 12-year-old boy. Eventually, when he got older, got old enough to, <clears throat> to um, actually wanted to be a teacher, <clears throat> so he asked the tribal chief, do you mind if I start a school for, um, you know, for just, just a school, just period. So yeah, yeah, go ahead. And he proceeded to lead all his students, his 10 students to Christ. All of them turned to Christ. And that started a huge explosion of people coming to Christ. Forgive my emotion. But how God used a 12-year-old boy to share the gospel and how eventually that started an explosion of people coming to Christ, not only in that town, but in that region and spreading to thousands and thousands of people eventually over the years. And, of course, she was just like, wow, wow, <laughs> that's amazing. And she found out about her father. And she decided to go and visit him in Sweden. He was just a shell of a man by then. He had basically drunk his life away, far from God. And... But she went and visited him, and uh, uh, a gal that was taking care of him said, you can see him, but don't mention God <clears throat> to him. She said, well, okay, I'm going to see him. So she said, hi, Dad. It's me. And uh, I want to tell you something that God has done. No, don't talk to me about God. Look, God, what did to me? You know, check. Dad, I'm going to tell you what God has done. And she told him. And he, it softened his heart. And he repented and he came back to Christ. He died shortly after, but she went back to America with her husband. And um, years later, she attended a, um, a missionary evangelism conference in Europe. And uh, heard a speaker and uh, talking about just what God was doing in his country. And he, she recognized some names or places. And afterwards, she went up to him and said, uh, I heard you speak of, and, uh, of this place. And it's not, do, do you know, would you happen to know? And then she mentioned her parents. He said, I was that boy. I was that boy. Your parents sacrificed, gave. 
Look what God has done. Look what God has done. Because your parents sacrificed. They gave. You've got to come and visit. The place where God used your parents to give the gospel to me. And then God did a great thing later, many years, many years later. God did a great thing. My challenge to us today is you don't ever think that your little piece of sharing the gospel is not going to go very far. Don't ever think that. God can do stuff that you can't imagine with your faithfulness to share simple good news, just like this little boy. And God took it eventually. You might not even see the fruit now. You may not see it for a long time. You may never see it. But that doesn't mean God can't use it and won't use it. He he will use it because it's his word and it's his truth and it's his gospel. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that we have a great Jesus. We have a great Savior. And we've experienced that. Help us to sacrifice, Lord, so that that good news will go out and people will know you. And Lord, thank you that we can celebrate. Just like the angels celebrate, we can too. Thank you for using us. These jars of clay. And yet you use us because of the power of the gospel. Because of what you do and your power, not because of us. Amen.